recording, so go ahead. <laughs> it's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. Spring has arrived. During the week, <laughs> it has arrived. On the weekends, it's cold. Anytime you can get a 70-degree day, it's a great day in February, but we're looking at 84 on the day we're recording this podcast, yeah. Thursday afternoon. My wife is saying that I should be concerned. I am in no way concerned. I love spring, summer, and fall, so let's have it early. As evidenced by the palm tree shirt you have on right now. I am. I'm embracing summer. Top down, fedora on, Ray-Bans Oh, no, on. not with the fedora. Oh, again. yeah. Let's go. Let's have at it. Even heading to the beach Are this weekend. Are you wearing weekend. sunscreen? I no, I know by <laughs> I know by how long it took you to answer the long sigh. That is a no, but you're about to lie to me, so go ahead. I think we need to talk about the NC poll news of the week. Let's go ahead and jump right in, Sky. <laughs> oh my gosh! First, the state of the state has been set. It's going to be on March sixth at seven p.m., and that is when Governor Cooper will come over and address the General Assembly. It'll be interesting to see how the governor presents not only his priorities for the General Assembly, but the tone he sets. And then, of course, how does the legislators respond to it? I don't predict we'll be in a situation we saw last week where President Biden's giving the State of the Union address and you're going to have all these cat calls from the back bench. But I think, you know, in North Carolina, we haven't gotten to DC level toxicity yet. I hope we never do. Maybe we should do a bingo card for Governor Cooper's state of the state. I absolutely think we should. Medicaid expansion. Yeah. Yeah, we can do that. Okay, it's gonna happen. All right. Yeah, and we'll have some analysis of that, you know, once it Goes, but you know, usually following the state of the state address comes the governor's budget priorities, which leads us to an announcement made on Wednesday by House Appropriations Chairman Donnie Lambeth. He announced that the budget process was moving along quickly and that the individual budget chairs, so like HHS, JPS, education, they would get their targets for spending next week. It's time to put it in another gear if you're a lobbyist out there we've gone from you know just setting the stage to they're going to start putting pencil to paper so get those requests in the house still says that they're on track to release their budget and have it voted on in early april that is really early compared to prior years when sometimes we don't even see a budget until memorial day weekend We touched on this last week, but medical marijuana is back and about to be voted on next week on the Senate floor. It had gotten a hearing in the Senate Judiciary Committee last week. This week it comes back and gets a vote. It was a voice vote. The Senate doesn't really do roll call votes in committee. We'll see how this bill progresses. Aside from medical marijuana, the Senate wasn't doing many controversial things this week, but the House, on the other hand, was. The House moved the hotel safety bill. This is a bill we've talked about a little bit in prior podcasts. Now, to evict someone, I'm putting air quotes around evict, from a hotel, 
there's a little bit of ambiguity in the law. They, there's certainly some due process rights that a tenant could have. This makes it easier for hoteliers to get rid of folks who are staying in a hotel and need to be evicted. Now, this bill has been framed by the opposition as kind of an attack on those who need a place to stay. And we know that there's a housing shortage, certainly an affordable housing shortage. Last biennium, Governor Cooper vetoed this legislation. It's expected that he will veto it again. But the House vote was overwhelming. 84 folks voted for it. I mean, that's far and above the numbers they need to override the governor's veto. So it'd be interesting to see if this is a battle that the governor picks. You know, he has three options. He can veto it, which means it comes back to the General Assembly for an override vote. He can sign it. Don't think he'll do that. But he could also just let it become law without his signature. That is almost a way of a protest, if you will, of the bill. I'm not signing it, but I'll let it become law. My prediction is he chooses that latter option. Also on the House floor on Wednesday, there was a long debate over the pistol purchase permit system, which we've covered in previous podcasts, but it finally hit the House floor. We should note, already passed the Senate in a different bill, but the House side took their vote yesterday. And what was interesting about this is that one of the bill sponsors voted against his bill. Representative Michael Ray, he's a conservative Democrat. Many see him as a swing vote in the House. He said he got a telephone call from his local sheriff, or at least one of his local sheriffs, asking him to vote no on the bill, and he did. It is uncommon to have a legislator who has sponsored legislation vote against the bill, but it does happen. It's not like this major anomaly out there. What is interesting about it is how does this play into the veto? The governor certainly seems ready to veto this legislation once it hits his desk without the Michael Ray vote. Might be able to sustain it. Yeah, the vote was purely on party lines in both the House and the Senate. So that will be interesting to see what happens. And the Senate bill is the conglomerate of all of their gun bills. Firearm safety storage initiative is in the Senate bill, the PPP repeal, and then the bill that allows security guards to carry at churches. That's all in one package in the Senate. The House passed those all individually. So whether they will go to conference on those or run the bills through if the house is just going to pass the senate's version all that is yet to be determined all right so the ice bill is back we know there's two versions in the general assembly one in the senate one in the house the ice bill is about undocumented immigration and those who are here who have broken the law they get arrested a sheriff will detain them so that ICE officials, that's your immigration enforcement agents at the federal level, can come in and check the citizenship status of the offender. Has a lot of complicating factors in it. Detractors of the bill say that it's unconstitutional, that we're uh, taking away folks' rights as an arrested person. Others say it's a way of Uh, cracking down on crime and illegal immigration, as they say it. This bill has passed the General Assembly. 
in past sessions. The last two bienniums, Governor Cooper has vetoed the legislation. He has been able to sustain that veto. Here we are again, a third time. The bill moves in the House. It was in a Judiciary Committee this week. You were in that committee. It's only been through one committee. It's going to go through rules and then the House floor probably next week. And then you still have the Senate side to take up. So it's one step in the process. Yeah. Saw a lot of school calendar bills this week in the House. The House voted on school calendar bills in a block vote, which means they didn't vote individually on them. Only two members in the House voted against those bills. Get back up, though. So basically, they took all the school calendar bills that they filed. They consolidated them into one vote. But they're still going over to the Senate as singular bills. That's right. Got it. So when that happens, this is a good procedural point. When there are a series of local bills that all deal with the same thing, the speaker will say, are there any objections to voting on these as a block vote instead of having individual votes for each of these? And without objection, they can do that. But if there was an objection, then they would vote on them individually. Senator Berger? He had a response to the bills coming over to the Senate. Senator Berger's quote was, quote, I don't see where there's a need to change the calendar law, except maybe to beef up the enforcement mechanisms for local systems that ignore the law. Referring to those school districts that are openly breaking the law. And we've heard some rumblings within the General Assembly, especially over on the Senate side, that they would like to hold those school districts accountable for their illegal action. I've heard a lot of versions of bills floating around, but we'll see what the response is to that. Some abortion news this week, Sky, as it relates to the courts, and it got a little political. In North Carolina, we have a law that requires patients to get an abortion pill from a doctor at a certified surgical facility following that 72-hour wait. And so there was a doctor at UNC Health who is suing the state and says this runs counter to federal law. Attorney General Stein said he is not going to defend the state in this case which is similar to his stances on other abortion laws in the past. And this week, the General Assembly criticized that move and indicated that they will step into the case. You know, there is a rumor going around the General Assembly that we could be seeing abortion legislation in a couple weeks. This has been floated here and there, you know, nothing official from the corner offices, but it is the chatter inside the General Assembly We'll see. That would put us at the first or second week of March. Hmm. We'll continue to watch it. So after the news that Josh Dobson wouldn't be running again for commissioner of labor, you reached out to him. And this week he came to the office to talk about his decision. The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina. Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. Commissioner Josh Dobson and company, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Commissioner Dobson's staff is here watching us record this podcast. Thanks for being here. So you have been on the podcast before. We were just talking about it. You were here 
in 2021, one of the first folks, early 2021. Yeah, yeah, one of the first folks to come on the podcast. But you're back, and why are you back on the podcast? Well, we talked about it uh, right right after I announced that I wasn't going to run again for commissioner of labor. Uh, Brian and I kind of talked a little bit and uh, said, let me know when you're ready to come back on the pod- podcast to talk about your reasons for not running again and then uh, what you might be doing later. And I said, let's do it as soon as we can. So uh, uh, we're here to talk about that. So we're going back to December when you mm-hmm. made this announcement. It hit NC Poll like a ton of bricks. Let's talk <laughs> about that first. The announcement comes... And I believe WREL picked it up. You put out a tweet. What brought you to this decision? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I knew five months in that I was going to need to do some soul searching mm-hmm. about what was next for me. Really, it came down to this. People's eyes glaze over when I try to explain it to them, but it's very, very simple. I looked at what it would take to run for higher office, mm-hmm. and that means either governor or senator. I don't see any other office higher than the current office that I'm in. And my brand, Brian, don't, don't fit the times. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the partisanship and the, the nature of what it takes to win a primary in either the Republican or Democratic Party mm-hmm. doesn't fit my, my brand of pragmatic politics. So I concluded very early on that there was not an opportunity now or really ever to run for governor or United States Senator. So I had to say, do I love labor enough to go through what you have to go through to gain reelection, knowing that what you end up gaining is four more years at labor? I couldn't answer yes to that question. That's really what it came down to. And I'm more at peace now than I was on December 6th when I announced I'm more certain now than I was then. And that's really what it came down to. And uh, I'm at peace about it. And it was the right decision. It's your brand that we love, though. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. And, and, it, and I can't be somebody that I'm not. And okay. I can't change who I am to, to try to win um, something different. And it might serve you well, you know, in a, journal, in a general election if you make it that far. But it just don't. Uh, it's just not conducive to the times. And no, that's just a fact. That's okay. just a fact. So let me get it right. So because you don't see that opportunity to to run for governor or U.S. Senate, you're, you're thinking, yeah, I'm checking out of politics? Well, you know, I don't know what's what's next. And, uh, and let me be clear as well. I don't want to sound overly ambitious. After I see uh, what those that hold them all, those offices go through, both Democrat and Republican— I'm not sure I would want it, even if I thought okay. I could gain it. So let's be clear about that. Uh, you know, I'm not sure that that would be that would be something I would want to entertain just because of um, the nature of, of those positions. Uh, but as far as what's next, you know, I, I tell people it's not a two week or a two month notice. It's a two year notice mm-hmm. uh, that I'm given. And as you all know, in and out of the political arena, timing and luck is everything. And uh, I, I learned so much. Uh, in my time at labor, I've, I've learned already so much in my time at labor, and I look forward to continuing to learn over the next 22 months or so. But I love healthcare policy. Yeah. That's my passion. That's what I was good at in the General Assembly. That's what I enjoyed. 
So if uh, I always try to be transparent, you all know yeah. that, you know, mm-hmm. I try to be straight up on what I'm saying. And uh, if if there is an opportunity in that world to be C- a CEO or an executive director of a healthcare related group, mm-hmm. I would certainly entertain that as a possibility. But as you all know, timing would have to be right. I'd have to add value to that. So, you know, I don't I don't know that that's going to play itself out. But if it doesn't, I probably will look to go back home and do local government. I mean, my master's degree is in public administration. I love local government. I served as a county commissioner. So uh, county management or town management uh, would be would be a second off, uh, option for me. I don't see lobbying. I get that question a lot. <laughs> I don't uh, I don't see any any realm of that world that one that I would enjoy. But two, more importantly than that, I don't think I would be very good at it. Mm. So I don't see uh, that as a possibility. It would be to be CEO or executive director of a healthcare related entity or uh, go back home and do local government. Mm -hmm. If I had to tell you today. I noticed that you did not say running for the General Assembly again. Is that something that folks have mentioned to you or you've considered? You know, I have been asked that question and I always say that I loved it there. I, I would have done it for free, and I almost did do it for free. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I loved the fast-paced nature of conference reports, stopping bad bills, presenting a bill before committee when it was a big bill, the rush that you got from working on important issues like that. And that was all before Tuesday of yeah. the week. You know, that's a much different pace and a much different way of doing things than a strictly regulatory body like the Department of Labor. Uh, so do I miss it? I do. Do I miss the people there? Very much so. Do I miss healthcare policy there? Very much so. But but my time was up, and you don't go back. You don't go back. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't. I don't know. I would not go back to the General Assembly uh, and run for for that office again. Uh, I've always believed that you have a small window of time to really give it all you've got, and I always had that in the back of my mind. And whether I ran for labor or not, I knew that my time was up at the General Assembly. I'd already I'd already made that announcement. Uh, so the the short answer is I miss it like hell, hmm. but uh, I wouldn't go back. Do you have FOMO with Medicaid expansion happening right now? <laughs> I do, I do. I uh, I loved seeing. I texted Representative Lambeth, Donnie, my good buddy, and I wished him well. And seeing the strong vote for that and and how that uh, is moving forward both in the house and the senate now as your audience and you all know whether it gets across the finish line or not with all those different dynamics are going to be interesting to see but uh, it's exciting it's exciting to see what's still going on there and the work that they're doing and uh, i hope that uh, that senator Berger and 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 representative speaker moore and, and donnie and those guys can come together and figure something out because it would help a lot of people so for our new listeners, new legislators, new lobbyists, uh, Representative Dobson, then Representative Dobson was a uh, participant in advancing Medicaid expansion in the House. You you were doing that perennial bill with Representative Lambeth. Uh, let's talk about to those listeners that may not have listened to the first podcast you did or new to NC Poll World. You mentioned your brand. How would you describe your brand of politics? Yeah, I don't like the word moderate. I don't see myself as a moderate. I I look at it as pragmatic and one issue at a time. And some issues I'm I'm pretty conservative on and then other issues I'm I'm not. But I never understood why someone had to be pro-Second Amendment like I am, 
but also not pro-public education. Mm -hmm. I never understood that dichotomy. Mm -hmm. And I've always been much more issue specific than I am diehard conservative on all issues and or diehard this way on other issues. So I would say it as a pragmatic conservative uh, who looks at issues specifically and tries to figure out the best that you can where the right is. Mm -hmm. And that's the way I did with Medicaid expansion early on. I mean, Donnie and I were were way out in front on this uh, with Republicans, and we took some heat on that. But I said, now, hold on a minute, not to get wonky here, but so 90% is going to come from the federal government for these, this amount the, the, for Medicaid expansion. 10% is going to come from the state, but North Carolina's share of the 10% is going to be paid by providers through an assessment, and they're asking for it because they're going to get more money on the back end because there's less people receiving charitable care, and we're going to cover half a million people. Well, that's a no-brainer to me. That's not even a close call. So that's the way I like to look at issues as opposed to, nope, conservatives are over here, so I have to dig my heels in, or liberals are over here, so I can't dig my heels in on this issue. It was much more issue-specific. And if you were just honest with the people that you represent and tell them why you're doing what you're doing, even if they disagree with you, they they know that you you have their back. And another example of that, uh, early on in the General Assembly, it was May of uh, 2013. I was appointed in January in May of 2013. Uh, we had our first uh, budget, first uh, budget that came up. And uh, I grew up in public education. I grew up in a little 1A high school back in Western North Carolina. And it was an equalizer for somebody who come from where I come from. And if you, ha- if you didn't have that, there's no way that I would be here as North Carolina's Commissioner of Labor or in the State House. And I didn't think that bill done enough for public education. Hmm. So I voted no on that first budget in May of 2013 because I told my people I'd be with them. And even hmm. in an R18 district, Republican 18 district, my public educate my public teachers who uh, a lot of them were Republicans said, thank you for standing up for us. And that ended up being the most popular vote back home. Not so much popular down here, but back (laughs) home, it was one of the most popular votes that I took because it's like, he's more interested in what we think than what a party or anybody else thinks. And and that that's just the approach that I've tried to take. And uh, you know, it's been pretty successful when you, when you're just on the level with people. There's also another layer to it, right? Mr. Commissioner, uh, if I was to talk to anyone who's worked with you, who knows you, nice will end up somewhere in the first few adjectives. You're, I've never seen you attack anybody online. I've seen you in plenty of floor fights, but let's put quote around fights. You're always very kind to your uh, sparring partners on the mm-hmm. house floor. And I'm not suggesting that everyone in NC poll is turned mean and attacking people, but that does seem to get a lot of attention, mm-hmm. positive attention from voters. The meaner you are, the chances are you'll be mm-hmm. a front runner. Is that part of your calculation? Absolutely. I can't be that, and, and particularly in Congress, more so at the state level, but it's more about a 30-second a soundbite so you can get on either MSNBC or Fox News to build your brand and see how many more followers you can get as opposed to uh, figuring out how we're going to save Social Security or figuring out how we're going to fix Medicare. Whatever the issue might be, it's more about a personal brand, and that's what gets the attention, and that's what raises the money, and that's what continues to get one elected. And I just can't be that. I can't do that. So absolutely, the short answer is yes, that was part of my calculus for not running again. Turning to your current job, tell us about one or two things that you've accomplished as the labor commissioner that you're really proud of. So I always 
was tried to bring all sides to the table on issues, even those that I disagreed with or even those that disagree with me. And I think two years in and, and by the time my term is up, I think all sides, uh, business interests, labor interests, everybody would say his door is always open. Where he agrees with us and when we can work together, he's with us. And if he's not, he's on the level and tells us where he's at on an issue and whether he, why he can't be with us. And I think both sides would say that. I hope they would say that. So I'm really proud of that because nobody has a monopoly on all that's right in the world and everybody has a point of view. And I want to hear that point of view. May not agree with it, but I want to hear that point of view. So one minute I might be talking to the AFL-CIO, the next minute it might be a business group that I'm talking to and trying to get their, their input before I make the decisions that get to me. So that would be probably the, uh, the thing that I'm most proud of. The second thing, state government, much like the private sector, is hurting. Uh, those that have stuck with the department, stuck with state government through COVID, through people quitting, all of that, people have been hurting. And I feel like we've done a lot for the employees at the North Carolina Department of Labor. And I hope and I think that they would say that, like we've done a lot of internal raises. I've been able to, through the state of emergency, give $2,500 bonuses to all of our employees at the Department of Labor during the state of emergency. Uh, we implemented paid family leave in my first month. I sent out a, a memo that said we're going to do that. So I would hope that the employees who go to work, only 350 of us who go to work every day to keep North Carolinians safe, would say at the end of my term that the commissioner had our back while he was there. And I, I think and I hope they would say that. So the fact of listening to all sides before I make my decisions and fighting for those state employees who stuck with the department through the good times and bad, having their back. And I, I hope that's what they would say. So if I had to name two, those would be the two things I'm most proud of. Should we ask them? <laughs> <laughs> no, don't. No, don't. <laughs> Funny you mentioned it. We have a few here. <laughs> With two years left on your term, it expires 2024, December, December 31st. 2024, yes, yeah, sir. Yeah, yeah. Can you talk about what your plans are as you end your public service here? Sure. Uh, within the department, our hardest to fill positions are elevator inspectors and compliance officers. And I've got about a 30, 35% vacancy rate in those two areas. And we've got to get those filled because they're crucial yeah. to our state. You know, we make a lot of jokes. I make a lot of jokes <laughs> about elevators and the elevator king or whatever, you know, I get all the time. But I only have roughly 40 when they're all filled and right. I'm 10 short to do 25,000 elevator inspections every single year. So it's important work that they do and I've got to figure out how to pay them more to recruit and retain, which we're doing a lot, but we've got to continue to move the needle on that. And the same for compliance. You know, we, we have roughly 115 compliance officers for a workforce of 5 million workers across our state. Do the math. Mm -hmm. And I'm down about 35 compliance officers. So in the time that I have left, I'm going to focus on workforce development at the department and in state government, but more broadly as well and trying to figure out things we can do and i think medicaid expansion would go a long way towards mm -hmm. that but things we can do to alleviate the workforce shortage in north carolina that's going to be my focus i've got great people in place to do what i like to call the blocking and tackling of the department of labor uh not least of which are those that are here mm -hmm. with us today in addition to others so i leave most of the day-to-day -to, -day to them and i try to focus on getting those positions filled 
paying our employees more, advocating at the General Assembly for more pay for state employees, and figuring out how you know we can solve the workforce shortage or at least get to a better place on the workforce shortage uh, across our state. That's going to be my focus over the next two years. You brought it up, not me. So I am going to ask you, were you surprised that there are now TikToks of you, <laughs> online photos? <laughs> People were really um, moved by seeing the face change in the elevators. Mm-hmm. And what's your reaction to that? And maybe your daughters have yeah. saw it first. Yeah, she keeps my daughter keeps me abreast of face of uh, TikTok. I don't do that too much or Snapchat, <laughs> but uh, not so much now. But for the first year, somebody would send me something from TikTok or Snapchat virtually every day and uh <laughs> it, it it was uh, i'm not sure i was prepared for all of that uh i, I knew it was there with commissioner barry and sherry barry but uh some of it was was good but a lot of it was who's this new guy you know where's <laughs> sherry barry at uh, she was always like grew up she, like over a lifespan of yeah. young people she was the the commissioner of labor and uh uh, there was some disappointment there from some <laughs> folks that uh, there was a, there was a, someone else in that picture. So it was an adjustment, I think, uh, think in the beginning. But I really, I go with it and I laugh about it and I think it is funny and uh, and, and that. But uh, I've tried to to use it to say, you know, we we it, it is a funny thing. But those elevator inspectors, they do important work. Not yeah. only do they inspect every elevator in our state. Every ride at every fair and carnival, those same 30, 35 that I'm talking about, in addition to the 25,000 elevators they inspect, they inspect every roller coaster and Ferris wheel at the state fair and every small town fair across our state. That's, that's important stuff. So I use it as a chance to brag on them for the work that they do to keep North Carolinians safe outside of the OSH world, occupational safety and health world. So it's, it's kind of neat to, to brag on those men and women. So we have two declared candidates already on the Republican side. I haven't heard a Democrat step up mm-hmm. yet, but Representative Ben Moss, we've had him on the podcast. Representative John Hardister, who we're going to have on the podcast later. Not going to ask you about endorsing or anything like that, but what I do want to hear from you is running for labor commissioner or any of those council of state races below governor mm-hmm. those are really challenging can you kind of encapsulate a little bit of what those campaigns are like to run yeah that's a that's a great question uh i'm glad i didn't know how hard it was going to be uh, <laughs> when i was eyes uh, glowing to run for statewide office it was really hard brian yeah. it was a really hard prospect the people back home knew me over an eight-year period and and i developed a personal relationship with virtually everybody in the district you know in the 85th district and that that had gotten i don't want to say easy but it gotten to a good place you're introducing yourself to people both in a primary and the general who have no idea who you are and i'll, I'll say this about the process it was a it was an incredibly humbling experience for me it had nothing really to do with me but my district was a safe republican district so i would win with 75 percent of the vote and was proud of it i've not felt vindicated by winning a primary and being on the council of state and winning the general election i haven't felt like that's a mandate and the reason being in the primary of 2020 there were three of us running and yeah i got 40 percent of the vote but you know what that means 60 percent 
of this state in the Republican primary chose somebody else. Mm-hmm. So less than half. So that was a humbling experience. And, and mm-hmm. the irony of it, and I said this the other night at an event, you know, I, I, have, I raised money, spent money, traveled this state, and was on WLOS in Western North Carolina. There's a lot of reasons why I felt like I was able to win. But there was one gentleman who was running who didn't spend $1,000 or come west of Raleigh. And if 1,700 people vote the other way, he's the Republican nominee and not me. So it was an incredibly humbling experience to, to go through. I don't know what that says about me and my successes or lack thereof, but uh, that was an incredibly humbling thing to experience. And then in the general election, I said, yeah, I won. I got 2.7 million votes. But you know what? There was one other name on the ballot, and 2.6 million people said, I'm going with the other name on the ballot. So if 45,000 people statewide voted the other way out of over 5 million cast, I'm an also ran back in Western North Carolina. So the advice I would give is stay humble uh, (laughs) because even if you win, there's, there's only so much you can do to, to win over people and what you're trying to accomplish. So it was a hard process. It was hard traveling the state. You drive three hours to meet with 30 people who've already got their mind made up in a Republican primary anyway, Mm -hmm. and then drive back home to uh, get to your, daughter's volleyball game so it's an incredibly humbling and incredibly hard prospect i know john and ben both both great guys they'll both run hard and uh, both in it for the right reason so uh, i wish them all the best but it is a very hard thing to do to run for statewide office down ballot and to a certain extent i'll just you know i'm always honest with you really those down ballot races you're just going with the stream of how the state thinks about the presidency and a little bit the governorship. And you just kind of ride that wave or you don't. And I, I thought maybe I might do a little bit better just because I, I did have a more pragmatic brand, but I did about as good as every other mm. down ballot council of state member done. So uh, it's, a, it's a challenge and an interesting prospect to take on. And I'm glad I've done it. Uh, but uh, as we know, I'm not going to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say is your favorite part about being the labor commissioner? Wow, that's a, that's a good question as well. I, I'll have to say two things, two favorites. There's not many big decisions that come to me because it's just the blocking and tackling of a regulatory body. As I said, if there's a wage and hour complaint, we send our investigator in, they do the investigation, we issue our ruling, and then we go after, you know, we do what we have to do. If there's an accident, we send our compliance officer in, do the investigation, issue citations, and move on. It's very cut and dry, very linear. But every now and again, something will get to my level, one being the vaccine mandate, where I was going to have a big decision to make. Was I going to do what the president has put on me at the Department of Labor to go door to door checking vaccine statuses for every businesses business that has over 100 employees or if I don't do that we'll lose our state plan status which meant there'll be no OSHA related to North Carolina it would all be ran out of DC if I would have done that that was two pretty crappy choices that I was going to have but I love it I love when the big stuff gets to me or how we are going to handle paid family leave or what we're going to advocate for at the General Assembly when it comes to raises for our employees. Uh, It don't happen often, but when the big stuff comes to me and I have to really think about it to try to get to the right, that's what I love the most. And probably what I'll miss, and I'm not going to get sentimental with my staff here, but we do a lot of safety award banquets across the state. We go to a lot of different places to give awards, safety awards for what we call our sharp award for businesses of less than 250 people that met a certain standard. And we'll make trips out of it with, uh, with our team and we'll go and we'll just talk and laugh all the way there. And then we'll meet new interesting people at the event. And then on the way back, we'll just talk and laugh and, mm-hmm. and just have a great time as a day. I'm going to miss that. 
You said you didn't foresee ever seeing your brand in the future resonate, but what would have to change, Mr. Commissioner, for you to step back into politics? Mm. That's a that's a good question, Brian. I would say that th- there's only two ways to get to that next level. You either create a grassroots movement of some sort that you have people that will walk across broken glass for you for that office. And some, both Democrat and Republicans, have done that. Mm. Uh, the only other way that I see to get to that next level, if I wanted, I'm not sure I would want it even if sure. I could get there, but... Uh, the only other way to get to that next level is to start with a floor, not a ceiling, but a floor of $5 million. And Write this down. This <laughs> if there was a movement for a pragmatic brand, then that would be a case. Or if, if, there was, uh, if I won the lottery, okay. maybe that would be the other okay. way that, okay. uh, that I would consider it. But uh, I, I just don't, you know, I always try to be honest. I just yeah. don't see that changing anytime soon. The, the, the primary process is set up for who can be the, the loudest and the most divisive yeah. at that next level. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's just not me. Right. That's just not me. So it's been two years since you gave us your magic wand answer. In the time since then, has your magic wand changed? What is it that you would change in our politics? This is probably what I said last time, that those that you disagree with or those who disagree with you, they're not the enemy. And I think our politics has gotten so combative that when we see a disagreement on a major policy issue, they see it as war. It's not war. Afghanistan (laughs) is war, and it's not war. It's a disagreement among people who genuinely and generally want to do what's right for the people they represent. So if we could get past that and not use that type of combative language when we're talking about colleagues, I think it would go a long way to trying to get things done and make things better for the people of North Carolina. Well, Commissioner Josh Dobson, we appreciate everything you have done and are continuing to do at the Department of Labor. You, sir, not only know how to do politics better, you are the personification of doing politics better. Thank you for being on the podcast today. Well, I'm honored to be here. Appreciate you guys. Appreciate your friendship. And uh, we still got a little time together, so I look forward to it. The Do Politics Better podcast is sponsored by the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association. Beer and wine distributors in North Carolina are family-owned companies that directly employ more than 5,600 men and women across the state. The North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association works with the General Assembly to develop alcohol policies that ensure fairness in a competitive marketplace and promote responsible behavior. Visit the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association at ncbeerwine.com for more information. I don't know one legislator, one lobbyist who's ever worked with Commissioner Dobson, whether it was in the General Assembly or at Department of Labor, who has not enjoyed working with him. He is such a nice guy. He's transparent. He's honest. He'll give you a you know, a hard no if, if he disagrees with you, but he will listen to you. Such a civil man in every way. We need more Josh Dobsons in North Carolina politics. I am really sad that he is not going to be on our ballot in 2024. In the meantime, Scott, you and I are working on a project with him around workforce development, around elevator safety, and 
We're just going to enjoy every minute of that. We wish Commissioner Dobson well in the remainder of his term and beyond. Please come back to NC Poll at some point. And in the meantime, we'll just continue to work with you. Tweet of the week. The Tweet of the Week is sponsored by the North Carolina Port Council, representing hog farmers around the state working hard to do agriculture better. Today, hog farms are reducing their carbon footprint by covering lagoons, reducing emissions, and generating renewable natural gas. To learn more, visit ncpork.org. This week's Tweet of the Week is from Colin Campbell. He's at Raleigh Reporter. And I'm going to give you a little background. So it's a quote tweet. And he's quote tweeting Travis Fain, who put up a picture of this Hellman's Mayo truck. And I mean, a nice change up from the Sin Van that's usually across from the General Assembly. But it was right across from the General Assembly as a huge mayo jar in it. And says, hashtag mayo for meals, post a picture, blah, blah, blah. And so... Colin tweeted, are they lobbying to unseat Duke's Mayo as the state's official condiment? Hard to see such a bill getting out of the rules committee. Yeah. You told me up until today, we saw this tweet last night about the Duke mayonnaise truck, but you know, you thought maybe the tweet you posted about me would be the tweet of the week. It got second, I guess. Well, I mean, when it's my tweet and I get to pick the tweet of the week, Obviously, I'm biased because I think I'm funny. (laughs) (laughs) You are funny. But I posted a picture of you because you got some new suspenders. Mm -hmm. How many pairs do you have? Oh, I think I bought five pair of suspenders. They matched your tie the other day. What day was that? Tuesday? Mm Mm-hmm. I had seen in appropriations that Senator Todd Johnson had his pink or salmon colored suit on (laughs) and he had a flamingo tie, I believe, and flamingo socks, which then led to a sock thread and then led to a pocket square (laughs) discussion where Mike Woodard was wearing this plain (laughs) white pocket square (laughs) pretending it was stylish. I told him it was not. And Senator Kirk Devier had gotten into it because he wanted to see pocket squares. But my suspenders, I felt, were on point. By the way, I have transitioned 100% when I am wearing a suit or a sports coat, you know, with slacks, Sky. I am wearing suspenders from now on. I'm done with belts. I'm done with jacking up my pants. I'm done with my pants Well, your sagging. pants are jacked up with those <laughs> suspenders. So I'm not sure you are done with jacking up your pants. No, having to jack them up all the time. They stay, they stay jacked up in the morning, and I don't really have to touch them until it's, you know, I'm at home and I'm changing into something comfortable. But suspenders are where it's at. I love them. You are turning into Tim Moore. <laughs> Does Speaker Moore wear suspenders? Yeah. God bless him. I love that. I saw he had some on yesterday. So I texted Joe Stewart a couple weeks ago. You know, he's been on the podcast. He's a suspender wearer. He doesn't even wear a sports coat. He's always showing off the suspenders. Why do you keep saying sports coat? Just say blazer. (laughs) Okay, blazer. We exchange messages in our sports coats. As the belly gets bigger and the butt gets smaller, which I don't know if the butt is getting smaller, but proportional to the belly, it it seems to be, uh, my pants are just 
you know, sliding down. And I was just so tired of it because, you know, I take a lot of crap into the building every day. I've got my lunchbox, I've got my bag, and, you know, I'm walking, I'm walking, and my pants are just, it, you know, inching down. Well, maybe buy pants that fit you. No, they fit. They just... They don't. You wear them halfway down your butt when you don't have I've been whatever. pulling them up over my love handles so that my love handles would keep my pants up. But gravity is a, while theoretical still... <laughs> Gravity seems to be pulling my pants down. Suspenders defy gravity. (laughs) (laughs) That's just a couple guys talking bodies. (laughs) You guys don't have this problem when you, especially when you wear dresses. You you don't have this problem. I have different problems. (laughs) I don't think it behooves you to talk about how it's so much harder for a man to dress. (laughs) We have so many challenges. Yeah. Starting with your itty bitty brains. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. The aging man's body is not a good thing. You know, to fit these bodies into the You know, I don't body shame. No, I'm not body shaming anyone. I'm just telling you facts here that, you know... To fit these bodies into these off-the-rack suits is a challenge. But you got to give it to men because y'all look better in a suit. You can hide a few oh, things. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I want to wear a suit seven days a week sometimes because I, I, it does take about 10, 15 pounds yeah. off of you. Uh, now, I take the suit jacket off and I'm hanging around the office and I got my suspenders on. I look like a weeble wobble walking around here. <laughs> Like some old timey, you know, like the. I don't know what a weeble wobble is, but I have to assume that seems accurate <laughs> just based on context. It's like an avocado walking around oh, yeah. here with just two stripes running down the side. You know, it, it uh, it's not a good look. Suspenders alone. Joe Stewart pulls it off, but he's tall. You know, he's a tall guy. I'm 5'7". I look like a... I thought you were (laughs) (laughs) 5'6". Must you correct me on everything? Can I be 5'7"? I let you be wrong in public. You asked me to stop correcting you. (laughs) My driver's license says 5'7". Thank you very much. So you lied on government ID. (laughs) Someone call Wayne Goodwin. Have my license revoked. So anyway, I'm sticking to it, though. The, the suspenders, here to stay. All session, join me, NC Paul. All you men out there with your sagging pants. As session chugs along, we will continue to update y'all on what's happening on Jones Street, what's happening in the courts. But until then, enjoy this weather, if it lasts. Go outside, and please remember to do politics better. <laughs>